1: it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Waterman. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 19th of March 2010. Newcomers should look into Cutting cuttingthroughthematrix.com website. You can download hundreds of talks I've given in the past for free and bookmark the other sites you'll see on the front page there because these are the official sites and once in a while the other sites go down. You that way you'll always have someone, some site to pick from, to choose from. And there's the .ca. Alan Watt, cuttingthroughthematrix.ca. There's also Alan Watt sent in, sentinel.eu, the European site, which is uh, good for transcripts as well as audios. It's all the same audios are up there for download, but the transcripts you can choose from the various languages of Europe. And uh, there's quite a lot of have been done already because I've got some good people working on them. There's also cutting through .jegness.com. That's a very dependable site that tends to stay up when the other ones go down as well. And remember that you are the audience who bring me to you. I don't work as uh, the way normal hosts do. Uh, generally, they get their income from advertisers. And what you hear in this show for advertising is paid by the advertisers directly to RBN for the airtime and for the staff and equipment and their bills and the transmission of the show. So it's up to you to keep me going by going into cuttingthrimmatries.com, see what I have for sale. And you can buy the books I've written. You can buy the discs, DVD discs and CDs as well with sometimes 50 shows on them. Uh, you can also donate to me through PayPal or any means that you wish. To purchase or donate, you can go through uh, from the U.S. to Canada. Personal check is good to Canada. International postal money order from the U.S. to Canada. I stress international, that's what you tell them. Otherwise, you get the green one that's internal only. You can't cash it here. You can also use MoneyGram, Western Union, or PayPal or Cash. If you want to order through PayPal, just give me the donation from the the button there on the website and send a separate email with the order, and I'll get it out to you. Same across the rest of the world. You can use PayPal, MoneyGram, Cash, or Western Union. That's all up to you. And I'd shop around, too, to see what one's cheaper. It's amazing the differences in some countries just to wire some cash through. And... For those who get the disc burned at the shows uh, and they're passed around so they don't use computers but they play on CD players, you can get in touch with me at Alan Watt, site 41, box 4, Esther, E-S-T-A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada. The postal code is P for Peter, the number 3, E for Elizabeth, the number 4, N for Nora, the number 1, P3E four N1. And I generally sift through a lot of the, the what's called the, the media today, uh, every day in fact, just to see what the top stories are. And that's what they're called stories, it's somebody's story. And most of them really are just his stories, his or hers, doesn't make any difference. They're spinners really, most of them are trivia, the ones from the, the, about governments and so on are generally presented in such a fashion that you're left with a particular conclusion that you're intended to reach. So as they expose things from governments, they also close the doors on the truth at the same time. And you don't think any further. You think you've been told the truth. It's amazing how most folk cannot reason for themselves now. Brzezinski was correct when he said that shortly the public will be unable to reason or think for themselves. They'll only be able to repeat what they heard on yesterday's media. And that's happened to most people. They truly believe that the media is a sort of appendage to their survival mechanism to do the reasoning for them. What a beautiful system that works. Back with more after this break. Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the Matrix. I've mentioned over the years that people should read certain books, and one of them is the Parastroika Deception, Uh, a good exposé, really, of the so-called Cold War, but really it was from a KGB's perspective, an ex-KGB guy who defected. And you realize, even reading it, and the more you understand, and you read books like this, you also know that the man was probably sincere of how he saw things, But he didn't know the even higher uh, level of intelligence, which was intended to bring the the Soviet Union system, the socialization, collectivist-type system, into the West uh, by permission of those that set it up in the first place. And it wasn't uh, Russia. It was the big bankers of the West. And uh, that came out, too. A lot of that came out in the Rees Commission, back in the 1950s, in fact, when Norman Dodds went round the foundations, the parallel government, all belonging to the Council of Foreign Relations and so on, and to find out why they funded all these seemed to be communistic uh, left-wing movements. And that came out in the official report from Congress that he was told by the heads of the, the CEOs of these corporations, these foundations, uh, that uh, their job was to change, radically change, and radical is the word for it, you see, uh, the culture of the West so much that it could merge the Soviet system seamlessly with that of the West, which ties in exactly with what uh, Lenin talks about, because the dictatorship was, was almost supposed to last a certain time, and then communism would come in, and then, though, they'd go into another phase, not quite uh, capitalistic, not quite communistic, uh, what they're now terming as socialistic. Uh, a more controlled society worldwide. And that seemed unbelievable at the time, but a book was published called Foundations, Their Power and Influence, well worth reading, because we're going through it all now. And it's only now uh, that you're seeing a lot of this come into play. What was predicted back then, what was desired back then by the big foundations with their multi-trillions of dollars to spend on active non-governmental organizations this, this article I'm going to read here falls into this and has to do with the oil off the U.S. coastline. And it says here, and it's from the Washington Times, the Obama administration is poised to ban offshore oil drilling on the outer continental shelf until 2012 or beyond, beyond the word. Meanwhile, Russia is making a bold strategic leap to begin drilling for oil in the Gulf of Mexico. While the United States attempts to shift gears to alternate alternative fuels to battle the purported evils of carbon emissions, Russia will erect oil derricks off the, the, the Cuban coast. Offshore oil production makes economic sense. It creates jobs and helps fulfill America's vast energy needs. It con- contributes to the gross domestic product and does not increase the trade deficit. Higher oil supply helps give a lid on rising prices and greater American production gives the United States more influence over the global market. Drilling is also widely popular with the public. A Pew Research Center poll from February showed 63% support for offshore drilling for oil and natural gas. Americans understand the fundamental points. The oil is there, and we need it. If we don't drill it out, we have to buy it from other countries. Last year, the U.S. government even helped Brazil underwrite offshore drilling in the Tupai oil field near Rio de Janeiro. The current price of oil makes drilling economically feasible, so why not let the private sector go ahead and get our oil? The Obama administration, however, views energy policy through green eye shades as a, a way above Obama, obviously. Everything always is. These guys are puppets. Every aspect of his approach to energy is subordinated to radical environmental concerns. This unprecedented lack of balance is placing offshore oil resources off limits. The O4s would prefer the country's shift its energy production to alternative sources such as nuclear, solar and wind power. In theory, there's nothing wrong with that in the long run, assuming technology can catch up to demand. But we have not yet reached the green utopia. We won't get there any time soon, and America needs more oil now. Russia more sensibly views energy primarily as a strategic resource, and it is a strategy, you see. Energy is critical to Russia's economy as fuel and as a source of profit through export. Russia, by the way, has got massive oil fields all over Russia and, and, and other, all the old Soviet bloc countries. Russia has also used energy as a coercive diplomatic tool, shutting off natural gas pipe to Eastern Europe in the middle of winter to make a point about how dependent the countries are that do business with the Russians. As I say, this is way above Obama, though. This is, uh, they're just front men, these characters, who are told what to do and they get well rewarded when they leave office for doing so. But this is the takedown of the US. That's the whole point of it all, is the takedown of the US. I've read articles here where the top environmentalists and the big foundation leaders that really are, some of them are on the boards now of governments across Europe and the US and Canada, have said that there can never be another US. The best thing they can do to US industry is dismantle it completely and flatten all the suburbs and so on and so on and so on. That is the agenda. That is the agenda. The US has fulfilled its mission. It's conquered most of the world for the big boys and supplied manpower troops it's paid through its taxation for all of that, and its research and development for weaponry, and the standardising the world, what's left of it, to standardise into the one system. So they're pulling the rug from under the feet in the US, and it's obvious too that, uh, according to the dictates of those above or around Obama, most folk will be driving within the next 10 years or so. There'll be massive penalties for driving through carbon credits. They said they've said at the United Nations uh, that agenda 21 that eventually would be essential vehicles only essential vehicles that's your military, police ambulance bureaucrat- bureaucratic limousines and and all the other stuff that you they had in the Soviet Union. so this is all but this is all about really is just that and if you think that's bad it but remember it ties in with the Rees Commission report, if you think that's bad. Let's go on to the Mail Online, and it's like something out of a science fiction. March 19th, 2010. British troops to march in Red Square, Moscow, for the first time in history, under a portrait of Stalin. They were uneasy allies against Adolf Hitler, and then our sworn enemies for much of the latter half of the 20th century. But now the Cold War is over, and Britain and Russia are set to come together once again, to mark their stand against Nazi Germany, this time in the symbolic heart of the former Soviet Union. British troops are to march with Russian soldiers in Moscow's Red Square to mark the 65th anniversary of the defeat of Nazi Germany, officials confirmed today. It's believed to be the first time that British troops have ever marched in the Red Square. However, the celebration has already been mired in controversy over the city's plans to display a portrait of Soviet dictator and World War II ally Joseph Stalin, in the square for the parade during the war, they changed their their uh, slant on Stalin, and he was called Uncle Joe. He was good old Uncle Joe. After the Cold War, you always need an enemy to keep the people, the peasants, under under your thumb and to get taxes from. So they made him the big bad bear. It's all like a big game, folks. It's a game on a grand strategy, and we're the ones who are supposed to be fooled by it all, and most folk are. If realized, the plans would break a major taboo in Russia, it says here. For many, Stalin, uh, remains the butcher who sent hundreds of thousands of communist party men to their deaths in political purges. He also callously to condemn millions of pens to die during man-made famines in the early thirties. That was the Ukraine and within Russia too, some parts. But for most modern Russians, Stalin's also the victor of World War II and the greatest hero of the Soviet century. As the Soviet Union was brought to her knees in 91, Stalin remained a symbol of Russian power. It's a sad thing, too. The ordinary folk really worship power. For, for all that they worship, see, people who, who worship things are, are always afraid of it at the same time. It's a sadomasochistic relationship. They're terrified of, of someone who has such power, and they treat them like a god. Like an old, an old Testament god in a bad mood who might just smile once in a while throw a favour away, or have you uh, decapitated. That's what they respect, unfortunately. And that's why we're going through the the century of change under the guise of anti-terrorism, which is really a war of terror on the public, because we obey much more easily uh, when we're terrified. Uh, This is how the world's always been run, by psychopathic groups. And these psychopathic groups that get to the top of each nation Eventually intermarry each other as well That happened all through the history of Europe, for instance And before, before Europe And uh, they they then are internationalists They don't care if if they preside over a country as kings or queens for a couple of hundred years And then hop off to another place that they own for another couple of hundred years It's all the same to them, which peasants they're ruling over and the public respect fear, isn't that something, eh? Isn't that something? So here's uh, troops going to march under Stalin. And, as I say, go back to the Rees Commission and read it, folks. Read to the Rees Commission. In fact, the Norman Dodds report is up on YouTube somewhere. I might have the link. I had it before. I might drag it up, and you can watch it again. The people didn't believe him at the time. Even the Congress, although they, they accepted it as factual... We live in a, a double state when we see things like this or hear things like this. We, we understand it at an intellectual level, but we don't really want to believe it. Yet we're living through the consequences of it all. The collectivization, the new society, the, the club of Rome's dream of a collectivist society based on the Soviet type model is all coming true right now under environmentalism and conservation quite something indeed and I've read this little article before but it's time to do it again the Times of India, it takes the Times of India to tell you what's happening in the US to show you the agenda what 21 is underway and it's about Detroit being demolished around the outskirts right now back with more after this break I'm Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix. Mentioning previously, too, that something I said about the, the really, the, the takedown of America, the U.S., and how it was planned that way a long time ago, and how the big green boys on board the Obama train uh, are all behind it. And then you see, as I say, that they're falling out stuff they talked about maybe 10, 50, even 20 years ago, some of these greeny leaders. Environmentalists who who prior to that were preaching solely really about cutting the population. They didn't have the the, the idea then of of blaming uh, the weather for our problems uh, caused by too many people. There they, they were just too many people. That was the basic point. They used to the mantra they used to give back in the 70s, etc. But um, he's an, he's an article here too about the Detroit. Now Detroit really was the power base for industry in the U.S. The big big massive power base. And remember, if you truly are a nation that can do anything, including defend itself, you have to have a big industrial base to produce the machinery for war. Uh, What are you going to do if you go to war with some of the big boys that are producing things for your weaponry? Obviously they're going to stop giving you replacement parts for your weapons if you're at war with them. So you understand we're we're already international. There are no enemies out there going to take down the U.S. through physical war unless it's just a matter of bringing them in to decimate the population and bring down the quota uh, of populace to be allowed to be alive. But this article, as I say, is from India. The Times of India, March 10th, to save itself Detroit plans to shrink. And it says, uh, Detroit, the very symbol of American industrial might for most of the 20th century, is drawing up a radical re- renewal plan that calls for turning large, large swaths of this now blighted, rusted out city back into the fields and farmlands that existed before the automobile. Operating on a scale never before attempted in this country, the city would demolish houses in some of the most desolate sections of Detroit and move residents into stronger neighbourhoods. Now, stronger means denser They want you packed in like sardines, for the brave new century world we're into now. Roughly a quarter of the 139-square-mile city could go from urban to semi-rural. Near downtown, fruit trees and vegetable farms would replace neighbourhoods that are in an eerie landscape of empty buildings and vacant lots. Suburban commuters heading into the city centre might pass through what looks like the countryside to get there surviving neighbourhoods in the auto industry's birthplace would become pockets in expanses of green. Mayor, Mayor David Bing, who took office last year, is expected to unveil some details in his State of the City address this month. Now, I read an article months ago where Obama mentioned it uh, because some other fellow had come up with a plan for it, and then I went into what architects are being taught these days. And, and lo and behold, from Australia... It comes, And remember, all architects are up on things at the same time across the world. In Australia, they're, they're building machines. They're talking about building massive machines to take down urban areas, huge things like sci-fi monsters. And uh, I realized, well, if that's been taught to guys coming out of uh, colleges for, for architects, then how long have they been teaching that? And it's years and years and years. They were already preparing the architects to design these things and the engineers to design these things 20 years ago for what's happening now. Everything's done way ahead, uh, long before we ever get a sniff of it. But you, get a, do, you do get a, a strong smell of it for sure, a pong you might say, if you go into the writings uh, of the Council on Foreign Relations and its members and all the green uh, foundations that are out there too, because they were talking about this 30, 40 years ago. So, Mr. Mayor Bing, who took office last year, is expected to unveil some details in his State of the City address this month. Things that were unthinkable are now becoming thinkable, said James Hughes of Rutgers University, who's among the urban experts. You see, we have urban experts now watching the experiment with interest. There's now a realization that past glories are never going to be recaptured. Now, you better understand what he's saying there. You're never going back to being able to be self-sufficient again. Remember that word, interdependence? and all the treaties that were signing at the United Nations. That means you'd be totally dependent for everything you need coming from abroad. And we already almost are. Some people probably don't accept that, it says, but that is the reality. The meaning of what is afoot is now settling in across the city. People are afraid, said Deborah Younger, executive director of a group called Detroit Local Initiative Support Corporation that is working to revitalize five areas of the city. When you read that neighbours may no longer exist, that sends fear. Though the will to downsize has arrived, the way to do it is unclear and fraught with problems. Politically explosive decisions must be made about which neighborhoods should be bulldozed and which improved. Hundreds of millions of federal dollars will be needed to buy land, raise buildings and relocate residents, since this financially desperate city does not have the means to do it on its own. It isn't known how many people in the the mostly black, blue-collar city might be uprooted, but it could be thousands. Many thousands, I'd say. And that was in the plans a long time ago. And here it comes into actuality. Actuality. Now, I've mentioned so many, many times that we've always really been in a kind of feudal system. Although Professor Carl Quigley said the new world order they're bringing in uh, through the Council on Foreign Relations, the parallel government is based on a form of feudalism, a new form of corporate overlords, CEO overlords. And um, that's how it will be. We've really been there for an awful long time. We've never had what we thought was democracy. We've had showcase uh, elections for an awful long time, but the bankers have always ruled. I'm going to talk about the bankers when I come back from this break.
0: You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
1: This is Alan Watts and we're cutting through the Matrix Talking about the big gangs, or gangsters, that's where the word comes from That uh, run the world And they have have amalgamations of gangs as well They work in certain areas where they they have to get along You've all seen the old movies of the Mafia And how they divide up a city and they have their their meetings They're all semi-enemies towards each other Because they're all jealous of each other's territory but they'd get together and be a big gang and hammer out uh, their, their, their minutes of their meetings for their agendas and how they would continue to do business together. Well, that's really how the world's always been. When you go back into the old goldsmiths and how they started to give out uh, basically checks, the Knights Templars were the first to do it, in fact, uh, from London, and uh, that's why they called it the Chancellor of the H-Checker. They actually worked out their... The, the Templars actually worked out the debt... Uh, and prophets on a massive chessboard A draft board they called it there, An outdoor one With big long sticks to, to move the pieces And that's still there today Yet But they're really a gang Whether They're called a priesthood or not doesn't make any difference A gang's a gang They've all sworn their oaths to uphold each other And they're all that matters And they'll stand up against anyone Together and lie for each other And kill for each other That's really what brotherhoods uh, were always all about. But it's the same thing up the way through nobilities as well, because they have their own particular gangs and and, uh, noble knighthoods, etc., and awards they give to to each other, and there's got to be an oath you take with each higher position you're given, as you're let in on the bigger secrets, which is generally the handling of the general public and how to souse them even more of tax money. So... At the bottom level, whenever they say the federal government is running something, you always think, in every country, you always think, well, it must be legit, they've got appointed people watching things like banks and so on. And it never dawns on you it's just as corrupt because uh, government itself is just another big gang that serves the bankers. They get paid after the bankers have got their cuts. They get paid good wages and and big uh, payoffs and so on. That's what it's about. All work and labour comes from the public. It doesn't matter if it's kings or queens living off you with armies to force you to give up your pigs or your sheep or your goats or whatever you've got there, uh, or or, and your corn. Or it's a government that you think is even better when you think you elect them and then they up your taxes and take things from you. you, Well, you know, we voted them in. Uh, That's how it goes, isn't it? It's a great con game. But here's an article here from the Washington Times about the bank regulators in the U.S. who during the boom years were giving... Uh, And these are the federal employees. They were giving each other massive bonuses as well. It wasn't just the, the bank operatives. It was the federal overseers. It says three agencies paid out $19 million during the boom despite mistakes. Wall Street financial firms weren't the only ones giving big bonuses in the boom years before the worst financial crisis in generations. The government also was handing out millions of dollars to bank regulators, rewarding superior work even as an avalanche of risky mortgages helped create the meltdown. The payments detailed in payroll data released to the Associated Press under the Freedom of Information Act are the latest evidence of the government's false sense of security during the go-go days of the financial boom. Just as bank executives got bonuses despite taking on dangerous amounts of risk, regulators got taxpayer-funded bonuses despite missing or ignoring signs that the system was on the verge of a meltdown. The bonuses were part of a reward program, little known outside the government, as a lot of those goes on, uh, let alone by the general public. Some government regulators got tens of thousands of dollars in perks, boosting their salaries by almost 25%. Often the rewards amounted to just a few hundred dollars for employees who came up with good ideas. I wonder what the good ideas were. That's really how it deceived the public, you know, the good ideas. During the 2003-2006 to boom, the three agencies that supervised most U.S. banks, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corps, FDIC, the Office of the Thrift Supervisation, OTS, and the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, gave out at least $19 million in bonuses, records show. Nearly all that money was spent recognizing superior performance. These guys were all in on the act that we're going to have a crash. They helped it along. And what they were doing there was rewarding themselves before the dollar became worthless, making sure they had enough in the kitty for their own uh, futures. That's what it's about. The largest share, more than $8.4 million, went to financial examiners, those employees and managers who scrutinise internal bank documents and sound the first alarms. Analysts, auditors, economists and criminal investigators also got awards. Ha <laughs> <laughs> They talk about the fox guarding the hen. They're all at it, aren't they? After the meltdown, the government's internal investigators surveyed the wet wreckage of nearly 200 failed banks and repeatedly found that those regulators had not done enough. Well, they hadn't done anything, did they? But really, what's new eh this is this is the I call it tripe, you know this is the tripe they hand out to the public for news. It's almost like ha, ha 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 what are you going to do about it? I mean that's really what it's like, isn't it? Is't it really after, after you've been screwed a thousand times in all all ways, uh, they come out and tell you this just to rub it in your face and mock you, you know? and that's what they do. they talk they mock you because after all, you're down below saying, oh well, you know, most people don't care." They don't care, and and so the, the dollar in their pocket's worth nothing. That's when they care. This article here is about the same kind of thing, Mail Online, from the UK, March 19th. Royal Bank of Scotland boss walks off with a £13 million pension, that's about $24 million. So if you thought the fat cats had gone, you'd be wrong, it says here. Now, I think 80% of that's uh, a government-owned, by the way. So it's the US, it's actually, it's the the London, I call it London, London is the government. Uh, It's the London boys who own uh, the bank. A top executive at the Royal Bank of Scotland will enjoy a pension worth an astonishing £582,000 per year. I wonder how the poor soul will manage. The disgraced bank revealed yesterday, the huge payout to Gordon Pell, 60, who leaves the bank at the end of the month, is even more generous than that handed to the bank's former boss, Sir Fred the Shred, Goodwin, which caused a national uproar last year. This is going to rub it in your face. The gold-plated retirement with the equivalent of a £13.6 million pension pot will enrage taxpayers who own 84% of the bailed-out RBS. Well, I love how they say that. that we owe, that, That's what I'm saying. That they love socialism, isn't it? Well, it's really the public who own the bank. <laughs> well, where's your dividends, eh? You don't see a penny of it. See, we're all slaves, you see, under all these gangs. Perceptions distorted, and the public really are trained to believe the distortion. Quite something, indeed. Now I have mentioned before, too, about how the leaders are hand and told beforehand and coached for maybe a few years before they make them Prime Ministers or Presidents. They'd never ever let someone in that was the genuine article. And Professor Carl Quigley also said the same thing on behalf of the Council on Foreign Relations. He says, we always make sure the top people are our boys, on all parties. That's no different than, than in the Soviet system. Where you could vote for maybe four politicians, but they all belong to the, to the Politburo, one party system. It says here, Tony Blair, Blair's fight to keep his oil cash secret, former PM's deals, are revealed as his earnings since 2007. This is a poor Prime Minister, a Labour guy, you know, for the working people, the Fabianist as well, eh, reached 20 million pounds. That's what he's earned since he left office. Well, what you do they do, you see? They pay you off, legally. Through the means that's mentioned in this article here, Tony Blair waged an extraordinary two-year battle to keep secret a lucrative deal with a multinational oil giant which has extensive interests in Iraq. The former Prime Minister tried to keep the public in the dark over his dealings with South Korean oil firm, or firm UI Energy Corporation. Mr. Blair, who has made at least £20 million since leaving Downing Street in June 2007, also went to great efforts to keep hidden a £1 million deal advising the, the royal family in Iraq's neighbour, Kuwait. In an unprecedented move, he persuaded the committee to vets, to, uh, which vets the jobs of former ministers, to keep details of both deals from the public for 20 months, claiming it was commercially sensitive. The deals emerged yesterday when the Advisory Committee on Business Appointments finally lost patience with Mr. Blair and decided to ignore his objections and publish the details. News of the secret deals fueled fresh accusations that Mr. Blair is cashing in on his contracts from the controversial Iraq War in what one MP called revolving door politics at its worst. Well, see, this is, these, are, these are his payoffs for for being the little war boy for the big boys who rule Britain. That's how they reward you. They can't give you straight cash for taking the whole country to war and doing their bidding and, and, and making sure the taxpayer funded it all. That, that would get, that would kind of stink. So they call it paying. They give you payments for, how about a million dollars for a payment uh, um, for appearing at a speech, for instance, at dinner, and giving you a half-hour speech at the end of it. Do you think the public paid for that at the dinner? Of course they don't. Do you think they give you four or five million pounds or dollars up front for a book on your memoirs That no one's going to read It's going to flop These are payoffs That's how it's done It's always been done this way It says here The will concerns That Mr Blair is using his role As the West Middle East envoy For personal gain The revelations also shed Fresh light on his astonishing earnings Which include lucrative After dinner speaking Consultancies with banks And foreign governments a generous advance for his forthcoming wemmas, oh yon, as well as the pension and other perks he enjoyed as a former prime minister. The full extent of his income is cloaked in secrecy. Now, listen to this, because he—he, he, this is this is the guy supposed. This is all done for him. And I'll, and I'll read it this way: it's, it's, it's been constructed for him a complex web of shadowy companies and partnerships, which let him avoid publishing full accounts detailing all. The money from his commercial ventures. And also hide all his taxable income as well. It's done by the big boys that run the system. The guys that put him in there. The little war boy. That's how it's done. That's the real world folks. That's the real world. You've all been trained to believe that. Somehow altruistic beings are are, are up there. Being attentive to you like angels. And you, you never see their fangs. You never see their fangs. Never see. It's all your perceptions and how they've been distorted Purposely by scientific indoctrination And repetition And guys in $5,000, $10,000 suits That you think, oh well, they're winners They're respectable people They must have got up there because they're respectable And decent and honest and working and very thrifty You get up at the top because you're a psychopath Nothing stands in your way And you'll do whatever your superiors tell you to do to get up there because they have no qualms about it well tony you have to take the country to war in a few years time what do you think of that okay what's in it for me boss you know that's how it really works well we can't pay you off while you're prime minister with the till you have left like all the rest before you you know and then we'll pay you off that's how it's done but how will i hide all this cash from the public and the taxman? Don't worry, our boys uh, own all that, that stuff. We own the government. You know, don't worry about that. We'll set up all the stuff for you and yeah, cover your behind. And that's how it's really done. Perception is the biggest thing of all. There's a movie just come out. It's, it's, it's called Order of Chaos. And I've got some voiceovers in it. And uh, that kind of deals with how your perceptions have been indoctrinated into you with scientific Indoctrination techniques, and that's how how movies are made. Once in a while, you get one that's got some c- controversy in it, and that's what starts off the thinking process. Things that upset you at times have to, you need to get a bit of upsetting to break your conditioning, without going crazy into alien land or whatever. You know, everything's been covered, even where you go. As I say, it's like waking up is kind of like coming. From a tunnel into a field, and you walk upwards, and then you get into the, the top of the, the tunnel, and, and you see the field in front of you, and there's a forest on the other side of a field. And you want to get into that forest it looks so beautiful, but you've got to walk up across this landmine really, this field before you get there. And the big boys make sure there's a thousand avenues that you're going to veer off into to, to put you in loops, take you in the outer space and back with all kinds of crazy ideas. Rather than say, here are the historical facts which are published in the right places. Boring stuff. Most of you will never make it because you can't concentrate long enough to go through these boring books. So you'd rather believe in the fantasy. I can't be human. Humans would never do this. Read your histories of the world. It's been like that since probably day one. That's the reality of the world corruption can be legalized if you own the governments you are the law <laughs> now there's, uh, there's Lindsay from Georgia on the line there I'll take his call now if he's there hello Lindsay
0: hello can you hear me yes I can yeah. oh hey Alan um, listen I just wanted to tell you and all of your listeners about the Mark Glenn interview um, wherein Dr. Sabrowski, Dr. Alan Sebrowski, um the former director of studies at the U.S. Army War College, um, yeah. came out and, and said that the generals in the military apparatus know that Israel carried out 9-11. This is not going to go away, Alan. It, it, the, the Arabs don't control Hollywood, and ben, ben, ben has been, did not do 9-11. Basically, the gauntlet's been thrown down, the, the the liars and the lying lies that they that they are telling are no longer going to be accepted when you have when you have a man who is former director of studies at the US Army War College coming out and saying that Israel did it everything that's happening to our world right now is because of, of a bigger issue the world domination. Right. yeah
1: I know I know But uh, hold on the back now. This is Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix, uh, talking to Lindsay from Georgia about uh, Israel's involvement and uh, 9-11 and so on. Continue.
0: Okay, Alan, thank you. Um, Now, I've got got the clip queued up to where he comes out with the revelation. Um, Here here it is, okay? Yeah. You have people who try to make this claim that they are loyal to America and at the same time loyal to a foreign government it is a lie. It is, and it's more than, it's more than that, Mark. What, what we need to stand up and say is not only did they attack the USS Liberty, they did 9-11. Mm-hmm. They did it. I am, I have had long conversations over the past two weeks with contacts at the Army War College at the Headquarters Marine Corps, and I made it absolutely clear in both cases
1: that it is 100% certain that 9-11 was a Mossad operation, period. Okay, that'll do. I don't don't need any more. But I've heard this kind of stuff before. I can remember when they they caught a bunch of Israelis uh, on an opposite tower uh, right after 9-11, at the same time, I should say, and they were all Mossad guys uh, under the guise of student visas in the U.S. at the time. This is old stuff, and it won't go anywhere. Honestly, it won't go anywhere.
0: You're saying it won't go anywhere, however... This is, you have.
1: You know, I've heard so many generals coming out over the years on Patriot Radio saying similar stuff and other stuff too. And it, it really doesn't work on the general public. It won't make a damn. You've got to understand, this is a, the U.S., <laughs> the U.S. has been run by by the same bunch who's run London for an awful long time. Israel is the same thing too.
0: I'm not saying London or, or, or the, 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 the German death cult is doing this, Alan. The man, the former director of studies at the U.S. Army War College, came out and said Israel did it, and the military knows it. Alan.
1: But you got you got to give the proof of it. You can't just make the statement. It's only the proof that makes any difference in any anybody's logical mind.
0: But that's the point. The proof has already been shown from top from. Every which way but loose, Alan, I'm, I'm not... Well, what
1: does it tell you? What does it tell you if your own government knows the same stuff as you do and you're talking about right now and there's nothing about it?
0: Look, I don't... What does it
1: tell it? you? What does it tell you?
0: It tells me... Okay, you're asking me a question. Let me give you the answer. It tells me that, that they are so afraid of their puppet masters and, and they're not sitting only in, in London or only in New York. They're sitting also in Tel Aviv, also mm-hmm. in Paris, France, that they... Their control, I, and I admit, Alan, it, it does, it, it, they are a formidable enemy to humanity. And yes, they
1: are. Well, FDR, FDR himself said anybody who ignores the New York vote in, in politics is utterly doomed. And it's always been that way in the U.S. as well. And as I say, you've got money cliques, these these intermarried families, 13 main families run the the entire financial system of the entire planet, and they're the boys who comprise the International Monetary Fund. These are the guys who set up wars, profit off them, absolutely. Uh, They buy and sell countries overnight by crashing your economies and all the rest of it. This is all well-known stuff. But the thing is, what are you going to do about it? And that's the end of the show coming in. That's the end of the show coming in. But I've heard this stuff ongoing for years and years and years, uh coming out. And uh, everybody knows that money rules the world. There's no doubt about it. I've mentioned it a thousand million times. We we're, we're all working for it like little mice. And no one's ever come up with an, an alternative system. You know something else? No one else would risk it. That's the problem with human nature. From Hamish myself in Ontario, Canada, it's good night, me God. Or your gods go with you.